Hello, and welcome to Mad Talks Games, Episode 4. Thank you for joining me on this journey. This is another episode I'm recording on a Friday night after my wife and I watched the season finale of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And, you know, it was pretty good. I know IGN gave it a 5. I felt like it was a little bit better than that, but all in all, you know, it wrapped up the season. I think the reason they gave it a 5 is more because it didn't wrap things up like the finale from WandaVision wrapped things up. It more tied up a storyline while leaving a lot of things open. It was definitely a show that was more meant for setting up what's coming next in the MCU rather than finishing what it set out to do. But, you know, that's okay. I thought it was a good show and I I felt like it introduced a lot of, you know, characters or reintroduced a lot of characters to MCU and kind of gave something exciting to watch. So, you know, it kind of sucks that we have seven more weeks until the next thing, which I think is Loki in the MCU, because obviously we're big MCU fans in this household, but still cool. I'm I'm glad we watched it. Now we have some time to kind of rewatch some things or get caught up on some other shows and stuff. Like I know I watched New Mutants and stuff, but so I mean, all, all that stuff is stuff that I've been watching, but this is a podcast about gaming. So I will start off by talking about what I've been playing. Then we'll switch over to the news. And I know I've been doing a segment called the extra after the news, but I'm going to rename it bonus round since that's more gaming related, I guess. And in segment three, what's on my mind, I'm going to talk about gaming as a dad. And that's going to be a real, I don't have any notes, just real freeform type of thing. Just kind of talking about, hey, you know, where I'm at and and my experiences and, and all that stuff. So without further ado, let's get into what I've been playing. All right, what I've been playing. So for the most part, not a whole lot new. I have been playing a lot of Watch Dogs Legion the last couple of weeks. I've been trying to get the platinum, but honestly, I think I'm just kind of, I'll get the platinum when I feel like it. I've taken a break from it. I rolled credits. I finished the story. I've seen everything, you know, there is to see in the game, per se. But I just don't really have a, a good feeling for the Platinum. I just don't have that draw like I did in other games. Because I know with the other Watch Dogs games, with most Ubisoft games in general, Ubisoft, I want to get that Platinum. I want to finish the game. I want to, you know, do everything there is to do and then delete it off the hard drive and put it away. But with this game, it's just not fun to go for the Platinum. Because there's so many things, like even the side missions I have to do, it's Again, pick the side mission and then go over here. And so I fast travel over there. Cool. You need to do this for me. Go over here. And then it's halfway across the map. And then I fast travel over there. And then I do it. And cool, you've done it. Now go over here and, and talk to this person. And it's halfway across the map. And it's just not fun. And there's so many things like that that just aren't fun. And it's playing darts in all the locations and having a drink in all the locations and all this sort of stuff where, you know, it just, it didn't, it, most times I'm all for this. Let's do it. Let's play the game. Let's get the platinum and get it over with. But for whatever reason, this one just did not hit me at all. And I don't know what it is in per se, you know, in, in particular, because for the most part in these games, I'm all for it. But this one just is hitting at the wrong time because I just don't care. I just don't want to go and do the things and want to travel and want to go back and forth. So I'll play it again at some point, but not right now. I just, I'm not feeling it. I'll get the platinum someday, but not today. Playing a lot of the normal phone games that I've been playing, you know, your Idle Miner Tycoon, your Ad Cap, your Township, playing all those. I always play those all the time. And, and even on the PlayStation 5, I'll pop in every now and then. I'll play Ad Cap and I'll play Clicker Heroes just to kind of advance it a little bit to try to get those last trophies. But nothing really new to report there. I updated my Xbox. I made sure we're all good to go there because I know with Watch Dogs Legion, I'm going to take a break. So I don't know exactly what I'm going to play next, but. You know, I've loaded that up just in case I want to go over there. We'll see. Um, The only new thing that I really played was the Outriders demo. I finally gave that a try because I know a lot of people have been playing Outriders. And it was fine. You know, I played 
about hour, an hour and a half through the demo. I didn't beat the demo or, or see all, the, all that it had to offer me, but it was okay. I don't know if I'm going to get the game. I don't know if it really pulled me in enough. I know the story I just didn't care about. And I know some people say that the story picks up later on in the game and everything. And, and I just know the shooting and the powers and stuff that I had, they didn't feel great. And I know that this is a game where they really do want you to play with friends. I know I've heard that you can play this solo, but I know they kind of want you to play with friends and especially the end game, they want you to play with three other people. And I don't have those people to play with. So this isn't that type of game for me. I would just be playing it solo and, and doing my best with what I could. And I don't know that it really did enough to draw me in to play it solo because it, it felt good. It felt fine. The shooting felt fine. The powers felt fine, but it just didn't do enough to draw me into the world and everything because, you know, the big thing is with Outriders, you know, they kept saying, oh, you're an Outrider and everything. But even through the part that I played, I'm like, who are Outriders? Why, why should I care that I'm an Outrider? It didn't really draw me into that. It didn't really make me feel special in some way. It just, I was just another person. And then somehow I had powers, I guess. I don't know. It didn't really explain that either. So it didn't do too much to draw me into the world. And I know a lot of people that I've heard that have played it are like, you know, that isn't the point. Just go have fun, go shoot people, you know, go do your missions and everything. But it didn't do anything to draw me into want to do that even on my own. So maybe I'll pick up the the game someday down the road, but the demo didn't really do anything to sell me. It's, it's It was fun enough. It was fine enough, but I don't know. I may hop back in, play through some more of the missions, get some more powers and, and see where I end up to see if I like it anymore. But for now, it was fine with a capital F. I didn't think it was great or, or I didn't think it was bad. It was just fine. And I don't know if it was really did anything that was, you know, making me want to purchase it and play it. So that's really all that I've been playing. Nothing much new. So when we come back, I got a bunch of news to talk about because, of course, it's been a couple weeks, so buckle in and let's go. All right, welcome back to the news. Let's start talking about it. First story today was the big one, was that Jim Ryan on the PlayStation blog had wrote that the PlayStation Store on PS3 and Vita will continue operations. And one of his quotes there saying, Upon further reflection, however, it's clear that we made the wrong decision here. So today I'm happy to say that we are keeping the PlayStation Store operational for PS3 and PS Vita devices. PS3 commerce functionality will retire on July 22nd, or July 2nd, 2021 as planned. And he goes on to kind of say some things, but really, um, the big takeaway here was, was just saying, you know, when we initially came to the decision to end purchasing support for PS3 and Vita, it was born out of a number of factors, including commerce support challenges for older devices and the ability for us to focus more on our resources on newer devices, where a majority of our gamers are playing on. We see now that many of you are incredibly passionate about being able to continue purchasing classic games on PS3 and PS Vita for this foreseeable future, so I'm glad we were able to find a solution to continue operations. Great. None of this sounded good to me. It was really just kind of saying... You know, a lot of people got mad, so we put it back in place, and because you want this, we're we're wasting resources on this rather than making new PS4 and PS5 games that you could have. That's kind of how I took it. You know, it kind of really, it just didn't sit well with me, the way that it was quoted, and I felt like it was more of a, a, a band-aid, a more of a, we don't want negative press right now, so we're going to change things more than we're doing this for the gamers and everything. And it kind of speaks more to, I think, what I started talking about last week, where Jim Ryan is more of a businessman than a gamer. And, you know, PlayStation, they're making their decisions more on a top-level decision more than on a gamer decision. So it is cool that 
people are able to continue making games for PS3 and Vita, and you're going to be able to continue buying them. But it doesn't really bode well, the the quotes that I was receiving, because it only seems like, you know, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe two years, who knows. But this will happen again, and they will close the stores for good. So at least for now, you can go out and buy, and, and hopefully the people that are making games on Vita can finish them. And, and hopefully they aren't too mad at them for canceling this in the first place without warning. So, you know, we'll see what all happens, but it just kind of, again, not the greatest news. The next story is from Jeff Grubb at VentureBeat, talking about March 2021 NPDs. So we'll go ahead and just kind of highlight a couple big numbers here. Um, for NPDs, the number one was Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Uh, number two and three were Monster Hunter Rise and Outriders, which were new this month. Most notably here is kind of cool. I mean, obviously Monster Hunter Rise being a niche title, one that you know not a lot of people in the West had played, being number two is, is a good debut. But also Outriders debuting at number three is really big because Outriders is a day and date on Game Pass. So for it to hop up into number three of the chart says that a lot of people were interested in this because... A lot of people could get this on Game Pass for nothing, so that was pretty cool. Other notables on the MPD charts, and I don't really feel like anything was was super notable. I thought the one big jump was uh, Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time went from 65 to 15, so it made a big jump in the charts. Other than that, you know, a lot of the, the, the games we saw from last month kind of carried over to this month, so... A lot of more of the same, mostly because there weren't, you know, too many new games, you know, Monster Hunter and Outriders withstanding. A lot of the same stuff was played, but I thought that was pretty good. A story that was new to me was Dean Takahashi from VentureBeat writing about the USC Games Expo, highlighting 70 student games on May 15th. And this is something that has happened in the past, but this is something I didn't know about, that um, USC, which has arguably one of the best games programs in the country, is doing an online-only event on May 15th, where it's kind of like a game jam, sort of, where um, 70 student-made games will be debuted here. They did it last year, and they had about 50 games from last year, so I I thought that was kind of cool. Um, you will see different people. I think uh, Jeff Keeley is going to be a presenter here among you know other people in the, the gaming community. And if you go to VentureBeat, you can read a lot of the descriptions of some of the games that had been played in the past and, and are upcoming. But I thought that was kind of cool that they had an, a place, uh, an online event where you could go and actually see games that were made by students right now. And it was kind of a cool game jam type of type of thing that you could see. And it just you know kind of shows you some of the talent that's coming and and lets you see some of the games that they're making now and keep tabs on them for the future to see where they end up. So I thought that was a cool event. Tom Ivan from Video Game Chronicle was saying that PlayStation is planning to bring the likes of Uncharted and God of War to mobile. They're looking to hire a head of mobile to work at San Mateo or Los Angeles offices in California, where they will be responsible for developing a mobile product roadmap for a three to five year time frame. Yeah, I think this is kind of cool, but I don't really see this as really being a huge thing. I think this is more Sony just trying to look at what's popular and looking at the all the different sectors and trying to make sure that they're covered in all the different sectors. And they haven't really had a big mobile presence per se. Every now and then they might have a game or two that comes out on mobile, but nothing big, nothing, you know, like you've seen in with Nintendo, they had the Super Mario Run, I think was one of them. And they had Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. They had actual dedicated experiences to mobile devices to try to play in their ecosystem. And I think this is really just Sony trying to figure out where they can fit in that and where they can you know, make some more money on mobile because they're, they're not really a presence there. So I don't necessarily think that that is huge news. I don't think that's really something huge that they're 
trying to, it's not going to shake the mobile game industry. I think that's really just them trying to make sure they're covered and, and have another area that they're, they're looking at. The next story here I have here is from Game Informer. It's from Liana Rupert saying that Amazon, Amazon's Lord of the Rings MMO has been canceled. And really the reason why I'm bringing this up is, again, what's Amazon doing? They really kind of have had a rough time with it with the games industry. They've had a lot of turnover, a lot of closures. They had Crucible, which released, then was immediately pulled out. And you know, New World, which is their, their huge game on the horizon, but it's been delayed so many times. And now here they have their MMO for Lord of the Rings that got canceled. Now, it seems to me that reading through the story, it seems like Tencent might have some responsibility in this because I know that they acquired part of Amazon, I think. And then, um, you know, they had some clashing with one of the other studios that works for Amazon. Who knows all the behind the scenes working, but again, it's more just kind of a bummer that Amazon, who has been trying so hard to get in, in the, the game's sector has had another thing canceled and another bad one and you know i know they've been trying to do their streaming with luna and that i haven't heard anybody talking about it so it's just more strife outside of the big three where it's really tough if you're not one of those big three to break into this industry so you know who knows where they're going we'll see what happens but just another another canceled project that is a bummer to hear about now, Marcus Stewart from Game Informer kind of gave a nice wrap-up on Nintendo's Indie World. They kind of showcased a bunch of games uh, where we heard releases about such games as Oxenfree 2 and Ali Ali World, which obviously both of those are going to be awesome. Um, they showed a new trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder Revenge, which I know a lot of people have been looking forward to. And uh, saying, you know, there was a new thing from Konami, a new action game in the works, which is cool. And they also said that Fez was going to be released that day which Fez was a cool game. You know, if you haven't played it by now, it's on the Switch now. So go ahead and give it a try. Um, they had some other ones, though, that were of note. And I thought, just to kind of talk about a couple of the ones that I thought were cool. Last Stop, which a lot of people have been talking about from Annapurna, is a narrative adventure that features three separate protagonists whose worlds collide thanks to a supernatural crisis unfolding in their home of London. And that is definitely one that's on my radar. I want to play that day one because I love Annapurna and that game sounds really awesome. Similarly, Hindsight from Annapurna centers on a woman's memories as she grapples with which moments are worth remembering and which should be forgotten. Should be coming to Switch later this year. Again, because it's Annapurna, that kind of raises a flag for me because I love Annapurna stuff. So that one's on my radar for sure. One of the ones that was released immediately was There Is No Game Wrong Dimension. I have yet to play it, but from what I've heard, it's one of those ones where, you know, don't read into it and then just go in and play it. So that's kind of what I want to do. It seems like a really crazy game. So if you haven't heard about that, you know, maybe go ahead and check that one out. And I mean, I know there's other games, you know, I know one of the other ones that I had heard some positive buzz on was Aerial Knights Never Yield, but I didn't really see the trailer for that or anything. So I, I can't speak to that one. But you know, some of those were some of the highlights that I'd heard and, and had checked out from the show. So, you know, feel free to check out their indie showcase. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or Twitch or whatever and see for yourself. Brendan Sinclair from GamesIndustry.biz had a very interesting interview with Scott Miller on relaunching Apogee Entertainment as an indie publisher. Now, Apogee from back in the day was, they were known as Apogee Software and they had, and they had helped work with games such as Duke Nukem and Wolfenstein 3D. And they were really a mainstay in my childhood of 
you know, if I saw Apogee on something, I was definitely interested. I wanted to play it. So for them to come back after so many years and rebrand was kind of a cool thing. And reading through the article, it really seems like they want to take, you know, about eight games, eight to 10 games or so under their wings and really work with them, you know, smaller teams and smaller studios and make a good game and try to help them with story and narrative and flow in the game and just make them the best games that they can be. And, you know, release them under the Apogee publisher, you know, Apogee Entertainment banner. So it's something I'm going to keep track of. It's something that I really want to watch because I know Apogee was a big part of my childhood. And for them to be, you know, coming back at this point to help different studios and to realign and do different things just really seems cool. So I'm very interested to see what they do and, and, and keep an eye on some of their games that come out because they're definitely looking to promote smaller games that you might not have heard of. So keep an eye on Apache Entertainment Games in the future because I really think some of those are really going to be good coming down the road. A very interesting story from Nathan Grayson of Kotaku was saying that some of the top streamers lost millions of followers after Twitch cracks down on viewbots. This has been a long-going problem in the Twitch community where you know there are bots that are just viewing streams or engaging with the chat for... They're not actually real people. They're just kind of there. People like... You know, one of the, the big ones was Felix XQC Langale. I don't... I probably pronounced that wrong. He apparently lost 2.6 million followers. One of the bigger ones was Chance Soda Pop and Morris had lost almost 3.3 million followers with, you know, other people like uh, Ninja, Shroud, Play, Myth, all losing, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. But in the end, I don't really think it matters a whole lot because all these companies that are, you know, looking at these big streamers are looking at more than just follower counts. They're looking at engagement. They're looking at real numbers and how many people are interacting in chat and how many people are actually tuning in and all that stuff. So I don't think followers is a big number, but I, I know that this has been a problem. And it is kind of cool, again, with their harassment that they were trying to tackle too. trying to tackle fake viewers and fake numbers and stuff is another thing that they're going for. So, you know, more power to them for trying to make everything as legitimate and and above board as possible. So cool on them for, for doing another initiative that they really don't need to, but I'm glad that they are. Luke Plunkett from Kotaku had reported that GameStop CEO is making $179 million for quitting. And the reason why I'm even bringing this up is because that number sounds absolutely ridiculous, especially considering that in the story they say that he also lost $98 million due to his um, not meeting his performance milestones. But honestly, the only reason why he's getting such a big payout as it is is because of the whole GameStop stock fiasco that's been going on and how all these people were pumping all this money in there and the stock price for GameStop is artificially inflated as it is. So this, uh, I mean, although it's ridiculous that it's, he's getting $179 million for, you know, stepping down and leaving his job. That's not really a real number. It's only that number because a lot of his incentives are tied to stocks and the stock price is absolutely ridiculous right now because, you know, how they've been doing all those things on you know Wall Street and Robin Hood and stuff. So it is kind of an interesting story, but it's one of the remember that, yeah, it's a crazy number, but it's not like the 200 million or 300 million Bobby Kodak number where those are real dollars. Like this is all because people were having fun with the stock and he had a lot of stock options. So yes, it, it's a huge number, but it shouldn't be that huge. So just kind of one of those stories to report on. Just felt like talking about it for a minute. Dean Takahashi at VentureBeat also had a nice roundup of the Dice Awards. I wasn't able to watch them yet because we were busy on Thursday when they were happening. But the big news of the day was that Game of the Year went to Hades, and Hades really kind of cleaned up. And uh, some of the other ones that it won were Action Game of the Year, 
They also won achievement in game design, in achievement for an independent game, achievement in game direction. They had a lot of uh, big wins, and they were up against a lot of tough competition, like you know Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us. So Hades was really cleaning up, and and Dice is kind of one that's interesting too because it's more industry people voting, so it's really the the voice of the people making the games, which I think is really interesting about Dice more than Game Awards or whatever, where it's journalists or players or everything. So. I might have more to say next podcast when I actually watch the Dice Awards, but I just thought it was cool that Hades, this little, you know, relatively little game, really kind of swept up and make, made a lot of noise at the Dice Awards this year. So, very cool on them. Chris Scullion from Video Games Chronicle said that CD Projekt suggests only a small percentage of players asked for a cyberpunk refund. According to them, they were saying that you know, about 30,000 people had asked for refunds, which amounted to about, you know, roughly point. $2 million in sales. The biggest thing I have to say about this article, which you know I'm sure they reference as well, but this is only the amount of money that people went to CD Projekt to get refunds. This doesn't include anything about Sony or Best Buy or Amazon or Xbox or anything. It's just people who went directly to CD Projekt to get a refund. And that's one of those things where you know I hear different people around the industry talking about this. And the biggest thing I always say is if a company is giving you a number and they are very happy to share this number with you, you really need to analyze that number because it's most of the time, I don't want to say deceitful or fake, but a lot of the times it has some sort of double meaning. CD Projekt is very happy to say we sold 13 million copies of this game and only 30,000 people wanted a refund. But it's only 30,000 people that wanted a refund directly from them because of whatever reason. They couldn't get it from somewhere else. They ran out of time somewhere else, whatever. You know, they're, they're trying to make this look as good as possible to investors and to outside sources by saying only 30,000 people of these, you know, 13 million in sales wanted a refund. It's very similar. I don't remember the story, but I remember something with Ghost of Tsushima where they were saying, hey, you know, with Ghost of Tsushima Legends, 11 million missions were played or something, blah, blah. And when they came out with that and they started with a number like that so big, I'm like, man, it didn't do as well as they wanted it to, did it? Because they couldn't come out and say player counts or tangible figures. They had to kind of make it look bigger, make it look better than it probably really was. And I understand why they do it, but I really ask, you know, people and gamers all around to just critically think about these things and really think, you know, if they're giving me a number, what can I glean from this number? What kind of information can I take from this number? Because this is the number they wanted me to hear. What is the story they didn't want me to hear? So that's really all I really wanted to say. Just kind of wanted to put a spotlight on that or something, if you will, because although it seems like a relatively small number, it's probably a bigger number than we would think. And they just don't want us to know it. Kind of a fun story from Emma Kent at Eurogamer. There is a Guitar Hero player who got a full combo on an impossible joke track that had gone there. He was playing on a version of the game called Clone Hero, which is on PC. It allows you to kind of play, and it's a little different than the actual Guitar Hero. It allows you to play whatever, but apparently it had been uh, this track had been out there for about 10 years, and no one had been able to get a full combo 100%. And some of these videos, I just love seeing them because they've been trying, you can tell, they've been sitting there trying to play this game for so long, trying to beat it over and over, playing the track over and over and over again. And just the elation that he gets when he finally gets it, especially because it's been out there for so long and no one's been able to do it. And he was the first one to do it. I thought it's just kind of one of those fun stories. Uh, I think it's called Soul of Six was the track. You can Google that if you want to, to kind of see his playthrough of that. Obviously not safe for work. 
There's a lot of language there. So uh, if you're opposed to any of that, you know, just know that going in that there will be some language there because he gets pretty excited that he's able to do it. So kind of a fun story. Emma Kent from Eurogainer also had the next story, which was kind of a fun one, saying that Fujifilm unveiled a Nintendo Switch-themed mini printer. Obviously, this is coming because of the upcoming Pokemon Snap, but there is a mini printer that will connect with your phone, and you can send your Switch screenshots to your phone and then print them through the app that is going to be free. And you, you get a bunch of different little frames that you can use that are Nintendo-related, and um, for the printer itself, you can even buy a Pikachu you know, case for it and everything, and it will print Polaroids. And it's just kind of a fun thing. It's not nothing that I would want per se, but, you know, I know Pokemon Snap coming out, a lot of people are going to be taking screenshots on their phones of all the Pokemon. So kind of cool that they team together to give you a solution that you could print things out for yourself and share them with friends, you know, in a hard copy. So, and hopefully we'll be out able to pass them to friends very soon because most of the country will be vaccinated, I hope. Marie D'Alessandre from Game Industry Biz has my next story. She's saying that Sony is testing PlayStation Plus film and TV offering. Apparently, there is going to be what's called a PlayStation Plus video pass, and they are doing a trial run in Poland for a year. This was something that was teased earlier and then later confirmed. That's why I'm using her story, because she did confirm everything. That um, this is there. It's Sony leveraging their Sony Pictures catalog to you know have some additional content in in PlayStation Plus. I think it's kind of an interesting thing. It's something that some of the other ones don't have, but I really think it's another sign of Sony going in a direction that I'm not super pleased with because they are leveraging another branch of Sony, Sony Pictures and movies and TV and tying that into PlayStation Plus for, you know, something that you could watch and everything, but it's not really a value add to me. It's more we have this value, let's add it in, and then hopefully get people to pay for it down the road so that we make more money off of our own stuff rather than, you know, investing internally to make better stuff internally that we can offer to the consumer. So it's kind of a, I don't want to say a double-edged sword, but it's it's definitely somewhere, it's, it's something that's coming down the road that I'm not super excited about if that's, you know, something that's coming to, you know, other territories other than Poland, because it doesn't do anything for me as a gamer. It does something for Sony, you know, as big picture, but not PlayStation. And again, it's just one of those things where it just makes me feel nervous about where they're going. And I know maybe they're setting something up for down the road for the Uncharted movie and for, you know, the the last of a show. Maybe it's something where, hey, if you have PlayStation Plus, you can get this video pass and see all these things. But it's they're going to charge money for it. And they're going to charge money for you watching shows that they're making and movies that they're making. And maybe ones that are based off video games and maybe they're good, maybe they're not. I don't know. But this doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't sit right with me. So just something to kind of put on the back burner to see where it ends up because I don't have a great feeling about it right now. Speaking of not having great feelings, Zach Zwiezen from Kotaku had wrote that Humble Bundle is apparently moving to limit charitable donations to 15% starting in May. Anybody who's used Humble Bundle in the past has noticed that when you go to purchase something, they have different sliders to allocate your purchase to charity, to Humble Bundle, and to the software publisher so that you can kind of divvy up where your money goes. Apparently, Humble Bundle in May wants to change this so that it caps at 15% to the charity and the big chunk of the rest goes to Humble Bundle. And that is just not a good look, especially when it is Humble Bundle. Granted, yes, they are the ones behind the scenes pulling the strings to kind of make this together. But the whole point of this is you were able to 
direct your money where it went. And I know a lot of the times when I bought things from Humble Bundle, you know, I would put, you know, maybe two or 3% to Humble Bundle and most of it, you know, 80, 90% to the charity and the rest to the publishers because I wanted a lot of the money to go to charity. I might not play the games or use the utilities or whatever, but it, it was a way that I felt like I was able to give money and support a charity in some way where a, a vast majority was going to that charity. And with them capping donations to the charity at 15%, that's really going to make me and apparently a lot of other people question going forward and using them to buy things in the future because that just kind of sucks. It kind of sucks that you're not going to be able to actually give charity more money. It's It's more going to their overhead. So... You know, we'll see if they decide to change their ruling or to overhaul this in the future to, to maybe you know figure out a better solution to this. But as it's static right now, I don't, I don't really like it. And a lot of gamers out there that use Humble Bundle don't really like it either. So we'll see what the future holds. The last big story that I had here came from Ian Walker at Kotaku. It was saying that Disco Elysium was its incredible narrator's, narrator's first voice gig. He apparently was the vocalist for the London-based ska rap fusion band Maroon Town, and through the grapevine, he kind of made his way into the game industry and was able to provide a, an audition tape to the people who were making Disco Elysium, and they really liked it. So he was offered a job of what was going to be around 200,000 words, and he said, you know, hey, I kind of got to take it. And actually, they ended up being a total of, you know, about 350,000 words of dialogue even for the most talented voice actor, that's tough, but he went ahead and did it. And it's, you know, a lot of people think that it's way better for it. I know, you know, the game reviewed as a 10 when it came out in the first place, but some people have actually said that the narrator and the way he did his, his uh, performance was great and they loved it and it added more to the game and even made it better, even though it's already a 10 in the first place. So I thought that was really cool. Kind of a cool story that a guy who had never done acting before, never done voice acting came in and made a game what it is. And I know it's one that I'm excited to play in the future here. So it'd be interesting to see how he does because he never did it before and and he was really excited to take on the challenge. So very cool. Now we're going to head over to the bonus round. This used to be called the extra, but I figured, well, might as well give it a more gaming name because... This is a gaming podcast. These are, again, just stories that I want to highlight, but I don't really have much to say about them. First one is that Overwatch director Jeff Kaplan is leaving Blizzard. He's been there for 19 years. Again, just kind of sucks. It's more people leaving Blizzard. Blizzard is not what it used to be, and that sucks. Next story, Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition is now free on PlayStation. Again, you don't need to have PlayStation Plus. You just need to be on PlayStation, period. You can get the whole game, all the DLC for free. Go do it if you haven't please, because it was awesome. Discord apparently ended its talks with Microsoft. It'll be going for an IPO, but it's out of the game with Microsoft. So, you know, we could still see it being something that unites all the platforms, that all the platforms come together and use Discord. But, you know, for now, it's not going with Microsoft. So that's all I have to say about that. PSN, 10 years ago, it had its downtime. I thought that was crazy. 10 years ago, it was down for 24 straight days when they had a lot of problems with the network. And I remember that was not too long after I got into podcasts, and I still remember listening to podcasts and all the craziness of, you know, the PlayStation Network is down, you can't download games, you can't buy games, you can't talk with people. It was it was crazy, and, and now it's just crazy that, hey, it's been 10 years, so blast from the past. It's, it's nuts. PS5 packaging is very eco-friendly now. I thought that was kind of interesting. They said that they're pushing to get rid of the harmful products that they have in their packaging. They said they are now like 93 to 98% plastic free. I thought that was pretty cool. A lot of their packaging is biodegradable. So good on them for making an effort to you know find a way to make their packaging more eco-friendly. So I thought that was kind of a cool story, but not much else to say. 
Xbox Live Gold is actually changing. You are not no longer required to actually buy gold to play the free-to-play games on Xbox. This is something that has been sort of around on PlayStation for a while. Xbox was one of the last ones to do that. But, you know, games like Fortnite, Warframe, and, and everything, you no longer have to actually pay for Xbox Live Gold. You just have to have, you know, a very basic account, and it is completely free to play. You don't have to pay to play online at all. So cool that they finally did that, and, you know, I'm sure it will lead to more free-to-play games, you know, doing the same in the future. Lastly, Biomutant got a new trailer, combat trailer, that you got to see a little bit more of that game. It is due out May 25th of this year. That was debuted, I believe, in August of 2017, so it's been a long time coming. And I just thought it was kind of cool to see a game resurface after such a long time because I know that was one that it's always been in the back of my mind since that reveal trailer and to see it resurface, especially so soon. I really want to play the game. I hope it's good, but take a look and see if it's for you because I thought it was kind of cool and we'll see if it's any good when it comes out, you know, shortly. So that does it for the bonus round. So that ends the news. And when we come back, this will be segment three, what's on my mind. And we'll be talking about gaming as a dad. Welcome back to segment three, what's on my mind. This episode, I'm going to be talking about gaming as a dad. This is something that is going to be more freeform than the other ones. I don't have any notes. I don't have anything laid out because I just kind of want to talk about, you know, my experiences and some of my stories. Because I know, you know, when you're about to be a dad, a lot of people say, oh, you know, your your life is over. You know, all your time's gone. You won't be able to enjoy anything again. And to an extent, that's true, but to an extent, it's not. And I just kind of want to talk about my experiences. You know, I know when we were expecting our first child, there's a lot of time where, you know, you're trying to cram some games in because you think, hey, you're not going to be able to play anything for a long time. And really, you know, I, I played right up, you know, I played games right up until she was about to deliver and kind of just enjoyed that. And I mean, I knew when our daughter was going to be born, we didn't know it was a daughter at the time, but but I knew that it was going to be a challenge. And definitely those first couple months, forget about it. You know, you're just going to be so tired. And you probably could squeeze some gaming in here and there if you really wanted to, but I was just so tired. I, I, didn't, I didn't even want to play. I didn't want to do anything except for sleep. Any given time that, you know, the baby was sleeping, it's just like, I was so tired. I just let me cash out too, because it's, it's exhausting those first couple months, because pretty much if they're not sleeping, they want, they want to eat, they want to be up, they want to eat. And they're they're crying and they're moving and and everything and yeah they don't do much else you know but it, those first couple months are challenging but after that it really does kind of chill out and you know I know a lot of times once the baby would sleep a little longer you get some time to just put them in their bassinet and and let them you know rock around and and then fall asleep and you get some gaming time in here and there if you wanted to but you, know, you definitely did have to adjust your gaming time you know I didn't want to play anything long. You know, something that definitely had a manual save. Assassin's Creed's were still fine because you could save at any point in time, but you weren't playing anything like Destiny or Division or something where you had to really be in there and be playing because, you know, at any point in time, you'd have to quit out. You'd have to stop and and take care of your kid. But, you know, that was fine because they they were there. They were just happy to be hanging out and and just kind of chilling out in the bassinet. And you could kind of sneak in a little bit, you know, 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there while they were, you know, doing their thing. And, they they didn't know what was going on. I, I tended to not play games that were too violent or too shooty or anything. And just kind of games that were fun, 
relaxing. You know, I don't remember what I was playing at the time, but nothing that would give you know, any negative soundscape or any negative visuals, even though they weren't looking at the screen. You know, the, the lights were flashing around the screen, you know, around the, the living room and everything. So I tried to make sure I played positive things and everything. I know one of the games I played a lot was Slime Rancher because that was definitely more a chill game. I know that was later on in, in her life, but you know, it was one where you know, the sounds were cute, they weren't offensive, and the, the colors weren't offensive. It was very, you know, chill and everything. And yeah, I know with her, she had a hard time napping. She did not want to nap. And it was very hard after feeding her, because you would feed her, you'd burp her, and you'd try to lay her down for a nap. And she just did not want to nap in her crib. It was very tough. It was very tough. Like, if you didn't perfectly lay her down in the crib and then let her go without moving an inch she would wake up and be screaming and she'd be up again. She'd be up forever. You know, she, she wouldn't go back to sleep. And that was very tough. So I know at one point in time, I got to the point where I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to fight this. I'm going to go with this. Let's see what happens. So, you know, what I would do is I would feed her a bottle and I'd make sure I had the remotes and the controllers and everything around me. And after I was done feeding her, I'd put her up on my shoulder and I'd burp her and everything. And she would fall asleep. And as soon as she fell asleep, I'd make sure she was nice and supported. I'd reach over, I'd grab the controller, I'd turn the console on, I'd switch the input on the TV, and uh, as she's napping there on my chest, you know, laying there all comfortable, I'd I'd try to boot up Slime Rancher or something like that and and see what I could do and, and play for a little while because that's how it worked for us. She she would not nap in her crib whatsoever. So, you know, you make do with what you got and she'd be napping. She would, she would sleep sometimes for an hour on my chest after feeding and after burping. And I would get an hour of gaming time in as best I could while I was laying there trying to be as quiet as possible. And, you know, when she would wake up, I'd pause the game and save and, and get her up. And, you know, we'd play for a while and we'd have her, you know, we'd put her on the mat and do some belly time and, and play with the different rattles and everything. But you know, at least that's the best way that I could have some gaming time and, you know, be able to still enjoy my hobby. Well, spending some time with my daughter, even though, yeah, she's sleeping, but you just kind of have to figure out what's best for you and figure out the ways that you can make it work because, you know, yes, you are bringing a new life into this world and you are trying to raise a right, but you still need to make time for yourself. And these are the ways I made time for myself because she would not nap in her crib. So, hey, you know, if she won't nap, she'll only nap on me, then I might as well play something or watch something while she's napping. Because, you know, some days I'd, I'd have headphones on and I'd go ahead and watch something on the screen while she's, you know, sleeping on my on my shoulder. And other days I'd go ahead and, and game. You know, and sometimes too, you know, you just need a break and she's in the bassinet or she's laying down on the floor on her mat. And she's playing with her little toys that are hanging over and you just try to pick a game that you can play and it doesn't interfere with anything and it isn't offensive and, you know, like Fallout Shelter or Ad Cap or something like that where, you know, it's just numbers on the screen and everything and it's it's happy music. It isn't God of War or Mortal Kombat or anything like that because obviously you wouldn't want to subject your kid to that, you know, especially at that age, but really at any age when they can't handle it. So, you know, it's picking those times and picking those moments when you can kind of play and picking what games you want to play when they're around because, you know, they pick up on so much. And even when, you know, she finally did take a nap in her crib and she did lay down, you know, and I would go and play a game while she was napping. I I didn't want to play anything off headphones, especially that might upset her in some way or might have some visual or some audio that was going to be something that she might hear and be detrimental because that's that's definitely something that you are more cognizant as an adult. It's like if it's bedtime and she's sleeping and she's in her bed and it's nighttime and you've got some time, cool, go ahead and do whatever you want. But if there's any way that she might come into the living room and see 
then you just have to adjust accordingly. And, you know, a lot of people said, you know, your game time's over and your life's over and everything's going to, no, it's not. It's just, you need to make your time and you need to, to figure out what works for you. And obviously there's been a lot of time where I haven't played games because obviously she's super important. You need to play with her and you need to teach her things and talk to her and play games and, and get involved, but you still need to take time for you. And if you only get 30 minutes a day to play a game, then that's all you get. If you get five minutes just to pop in on your phone and play something, then that's, that's all you get. But you know, your 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 life doesn't end just because you brought another life in. You've got to also make sure you, you take time for yourself to enjoy the things that you enjoyed. Just like I know, you know, my wife enjoys watching movies and TV shows, and she would make sure that she took time to be able to watch some things when, you know, the baby was napping or the baby was, you know, hanging out with me in, in the other room. She would be able to watch something because you still need to enrich your life while you're you know, trying to enrich their life because if you aren't doing anything you enjoy, then you're not going to be as happy around the baby. So you got to make sure you're doing things. And, you know, now it's just fun because now there are certain times when it's a Saturday and I'm just tired and I don't feel like getting super involved. So I might put something on like Fall Guys and it's just cute to see her now jump up in my lap and say, hey, can I play? And I'm like, you know, sure, go ahead, you know, see what you can do. And and to see her kind of grab the controller for me and try to get the guy moving and you know, every now and then she'll like make the jump and it's super cool. It's super fun to see them take an interest in something that you do. And a lot of times now too, she'll say, oh, let's play the robot game, which is their Astro's Playroom. You know, I'll put that on. And there's been times too, where she'll, you know, she'll take the controller from me and she'll just be running around the map and, and jumping up and, and doing different things. And it's just kind of fun to watch her slowly kind of, you know, introduce herself to the world of gaming a little bit from the games that I play. Cause I know a lot of the games I play, you know, are horribly inappropriate for her. I wouldn't ever play them around her, but you know, certain games like Astrobot or Fall Guys, they're kind of fun. And it's kind of fun to see her want to grab the controller and play a little bit and, and try to enjoy those a little bit. So, you know, that's kind of my stories is gaming as a dad. And it's, she, she isn't quite old enough to quite grasp everything and to play games with me. And you know, even like Fall Guys, she can kind of make some jumps sometimes, but she's not, she's only, not even four, so she's not there to be able to put levels together and figure out what you're you're meant to do. But it's kind of fun seeing her take an interest, even as small as it is, because very rarely does she has to do it. But it's still fun seeing her do that, trying to keep her well-rounded, trying to keep her playing outside, playing inside, drawing, you know, learning everything, and just seeing her pick up a controller every now and then play makes me look forward to the future where we're playing games together and we're, you know, beating levels and stuff. If that's what she wants to do, you know, obviously if she doesn't want to do that, that's fine, but you know, it's kind of cool. And gaming as a dad has been cool because you definitely, certain games hit harder and certain stories hit harder than they did before. So don't know what the future will bring. Don't know when she'll actually really be interested and want to boot up a game on her own, but I'm looking forward to it. But, you know, it's it's been fun so far, and, and it hasn't been a hobby that I've had to give up. It's been something that, yeah, you have to make your time for it, and you have to schedule around things. But, you know, it, it doesn't have to disappear just because you're a dad. So just kind of hopefully if any of you out there are new dads or dads-to-be, there is hope that, hey, you know, it's not going to be everything you want, but it doesn't have to disappear. It can still be part of your life. So those are my thoughts on gaming as a dad, and that will end the episode. So... Hopefully you enjoyed episode four. As always, if you want to, you can reach out. Um, you know, I've got a face group for Matt Talks Games. 
My Twitter handle is at mtgrpgme. You can write in the email address, show at rpgme.net. If you don't want to, there you can go to rpgme.net and there is a contact form. You don't even need to fill out your name or address. You can always go ahead and, and give me a form submission there. It can be anonymous. You can write whatever you want in the fields. It doesn't matter. It still comes to me. So there's that. I have my Instagram where I normally post what I'm doing, not a Platinums or whatever game I've been playing. So plenty of ways to contact me if you feel like you want to contact me and reach out. This should be on Apple Podcasts and whatever third-party app you might be using. It's also on Spotify and on YouTube. YouTube, you can just search Matt Talks Games. It'll be there. Hopefully, you've enjoyed, and this is the end of Episode 4. So, hopefully, I'll see you in another couple weeks, and we'll talk then. So, until then, goodbye. Goodbye.